I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. It takes guts to step out on faith, and it takes guts to make a risky, late-career move for Christ. Rusty and Kim Snell left a successful and comfortable career path in product design in their late 50s and stepped in as the leaders of the Toledo, Ohio Church. In this episode, you'll find out what inspired them to do it, how Christ can multiply whatever talents or gifts you offer Him, why they find themselves happiest experiencing Christ's victories and suffering, and their plans to build a healthy spiritual garden. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I've got Rusty and Kim Snell from Toledo, Ohio. I'm really looking forward to talking to them. I saw them and met them first at the CLIMB conference in Dallas in December and talked to them briefly. They had a full-time career prior to going into the paid ministry, but made a decision in 2021, right during the height of COVID, to go into the paid ministry, leave their secular position, and serve the church in Toledo, Ohio. I look forward to asking them and and finding out what and why they made that huge, huge decision, and I hope it inspires others to do the same. Rusty and Kim, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Rob excited about this. If you guys wouldn't mind sharing, how did you guys become Christians? You want me to start? Sure. Okay. So first of all, this is my favorite part of your podcast is how'd you become a Christian? Because I love that it reminds me that Jesus is alive and well today. And it reminds me that anyone can make it, no matter the background, because a lot of your, the people you're interviewing are all over the map. Some are religious, some are heathens like me, mm-hmm. and everybody <laughs> in between. And I just love listening to how people become Christians so much. Um, but for us, um, yeah, I, I think it started with a phone call. Um, I was minding my own business at work, Of all places, I was a designer, um, 1990 um, for Sony Corporation, a Japanese electronics uh, empire. And I had a great job designing products and I'm just minding my own business, doing my thing. And I get a phone call. Now back then it was long distance. So this guy was, I'm in New Jersey, Park Ridge, New Jersey, uh, living in Ridgewood, New Jersey, but work Park Ridge, which is only 10 minutes away. And I get a long distance call from my friend in Cincinnati, John Price, who was a childhood friend. He's my best friend all the way up through school. He was, we went to kindergarten together all the way. He went to college at a different place. He went to Baldwin Wallace. I went to Arizona State. But we stayed in touch and we were just friends, usually just once a year, twice a year kind of thing. But he was my pot smoking buddy. He was my beer drinking buddy. Like we chased <laughs> girls together. We played sports together. And this guy called me, John, at work. You know, I'm in a Japanese culture. Like this is pretty intense stuff. So I'm sitting, <laughs> sitting around designing. And he calls me and says, hey, I have a Bible talk that you need to go to. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, no, I know it sounds crazy, but but I've already got the phone number. I've already got the place, you're, you, the people that lead a church out there. It's a little church, Debbie and Sheridan Wright. All you gotta do is call them on a phone. I, I can give you the phone number right now and just, just study the Bible. And I'm like, is this the same John? Like, what is happening? What is going on? Like, why are you calling me? 
And uh, anyway, I, I think just because I trusted him and we had such a great relationship, as bizarre as it seemed for him to call me long distance at work, when he could have called me at home, um, it just, everything seemed weird about it. But I'm like, okay, it's John. So yeah, I called the people up and um, said, hey, my friend recommended that I call you and we get together and study the Bible. So that's why I'm calling you. And they're like, yeah, oh, great. You know, why don't you come over and we'll have some, uh, some cookies and punch and, and do a Bible study. I'm like, cookies and punch? Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm hoping they're going to say, you know, some tequila shots and some, we'll do a little Bible study, but we'll have a couple beers and we'll talk about God. And they're talking about cookies and punch. And I don't know, just something about them. We just kept making excuses. I'm like, Kim, you know, these guys want to have a Bible talk and I don't know. And, um, so we do, we said, you know, Hey, we got to sort our socks on Thursday. Sorry, we can't make it. You know, we came up with the dumbest excuses. Like we just can't do it. But I think what really changed it, you want to talk a little bit? Yeah. So at the time, Rusty and I uh, had only been married for a year. So when we, when we got this phone call, Rusty got the phone call from John and he introduced us to this couple in the church like Rusty said, I mean, we had absolutely zero interest in, yeah, coming over to a stranger's house for cookies and coffee and a Bible study. So they tried multiple times to get us to come to a Bible study. And we just, like Rusty said, had excuse after excuse. And so they finally figured out this approach is not working like at all. So they introduced us to another couple and they invite us out to play tennis. And we're like, oh my gosh, of course we'll come and play tennis because we loved playing tennis. And when we met them, their names are Mitch and Michelle Kahn. They exactly the same age as Rusty and I, they were actually married the same day, same year that we were married and we just hit it off. And I think that relationship just really went a long way to, uh, yeah, helping us to, just feel comfortable just coming out to church. Yeah. And just connecting with them at that point. Yeah. They found, they found what it was uh, for a connection. I mean, we definitely weren't religious people or spiritual at all, but we definitely loved tennis. And so that was, <laughs> that was a connection for us. Um, and I think once we started um, developing that relationship, then we actually were more open to studying the Bible and we got into the Bible, and, and I just was blown away. I had never, ever met anybody that understood the Bible and could teach it in a way that I understood it. I grew up Catholic, and the Bible was rarely talked about, even at church, let alone at home. Um, so not only did these people talk about the Bible and read it in a way I could understand it, um, but they actually were living it. I had never seen anybody live it. Um, I think these two guys, Sheridan Wright and Mitch Kahn, were the first men that I'd ever really watched live and go, oh, that's what it's like to live a godly, like a man should live a godly life. I had never seen it before. Wow. Um, so it definitely had our attention. And I was just all in. Like, I was just like, I was broken. I, I Our marriage, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, our marriage was messed up and I felt very responsible. I felt super broken about the way that I led our marriage in just one year get to, but, um, I just went through the studies like, like oxygen, like, oh my gosh, this stuff is incredible. Like, and then Kim, on the other hand, just had a, she's a different personality and she just responded differently. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you get to know Rusty and I, Rusty's definitely, he's all in everything all the time. Like he's emotional. He just what? leads with his, leads with his heart. And, uh, and me on the other hand, I'm just a little more cautious and analytical. Like I, I really like to take my time to kind of figure out like, you know, what is this all about? You know, is this crazy or is this from God? And I think our whole, you know, dynamic was just so, I don't know, like Rusty said, our marriage was just really, really bad. After one year, I mean, 
we were heading towards divorce. So um, it just took me, you know, Rusty jumped right in, he got baptized, um, and it took me a little bit longer to kind of um, just make that decision to follow Jesus and to, and to trust that, you know, this is, you know, definitely God leading me and, um, and just giving my whole heart to, to wanting to know Jesus and to following him. So he got baptized. I got baptized two weeks later. <laughs> so it wasn't that, that much longer, just a couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. Couple weeks. So let's just back it up a little bit. So how, how old are you guys? I am 59. And I am 56. Okay. So, okay, Kim, you and I are about the, we're the same age. So you guys met, you guys got, can you talk about how you guys got together and how, how you met and then talk about what happened, you know, leading up to studying the Bible, what was going on in your marriage? So we actually met at Arizona State University. Um, it was a summer before my junior year of college that I, I had a new roommate um, that summer and her name was Kelly. And all summer long, Kelly just kept telling me, Kim, oh my gosh, you have to meet my friend Rusty. And all the time, you have to meet my friend Rusty. And she was actually dating a classmate of Rusty's at the time uh, in the design school. Rusty happened to be in Portland, Oregon for the summer uh, doing an internship. So um, all summer long, you know, it was just constantly, Kim, you have to meet my friend Rusty. So when fall semester came around, uh, Rusty actually camped out to buy football tickets for me and my roommate. And the first time that I met him, uh, we had gone over to his apartment complex, which is just down the street from where I lived uh, to do a load of laundry. And he was sitting in the house with uh, his roommate and some friends. And you can kind of- Yeah. So yeah, the old load of laundry excuse. <laughs> we, uh, all the guys sitting there. So I'm sitting there with my roommate and then two other friends or four of us. I think we were playing cards or something. And um, yeah, Kim and her roommate walked in and that was the first when I met her and we just, you know, everybody talked for a while. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like she's got such a gentle, you know, and we weren't disciples. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm not looking through the lens of a disciple, but I just thought, first of all, she's gorgeous. And she's really intelligent, but she's got such a quiet, gentle spirit that I just never had really seen before. And I didn't know her that well. So, of course, all the guys are like, after they left, they're like, oh, I'm going to take her out. I'm gonna, you know? And I'm just like, you guys just need to shut up because this is going to be my girlfriend. This, <laughs> this girl. And I was right. I, um, I beat him. You know, I think first I was the first to ask her. So she said yes. And, um, and we dated um, and I think from that time that we started dating, we only dated seven months and I needed to make a decision because I was graduating. I was a year ahead of her in school. And so after seven months, I realized that, you know, I'm probably going to get a job somewhere outside Tempe, Arizona, and either I'm going to, I'm going to take her with me and we're going to do this together, or we're probably going to part ways because she has another year of school. She's going to meet more people more guys, way more handsome and talented than I am. So I, I better do this. So I proposed to her and she said, yes. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's how we met. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah. So we actually, um, after he graduated, you know, I finished up school for a year. So we were apart a year before we got, ended up getting married. Okay. So, all right. So you guys got married in 89. Okay, so what happened? You alluded to it earlier. What what was going on in your marriage in the first year or so? Do you want me to go first? Okay, I'll just talk. I'll just talk kind of about my. Um, I think the the big thing was so I had my job, a really great job. So I I was so fortunate, blessed by God. I didn't realize I was blessed by God. I just thought I was so awesome that I won this design contest at school. So it was a national contest put on by Sony 
and open to any college student. I was majoring in industrial design and there were, I guess, 300 and some applicants who, who um, submitted their design for this. It was a portable television contest nationwide and I got first place. So wow. I got a trip to Japan. I got five grand Wow! and a TV and then <laughs> I got hired by Sony. So I hit the jackpot. Like I was really, really fortunate. Looking back, I know that I was, it was just flat out blessed by God. Um, and so I, I moved to Ridgewood, New Jersey and Kim finished up school in Tempe. So it was a long distance relationship. We only saw each other a couple of times. Neither of us had any money for us to fly back and forth. Uh, in that last year as she was finishing school. But I was working for a Japanese company that required a lot of you. So I show up at work at about eight to 9 a.m. and work till about 10 p.m. And then it was required that you went out and got trashed with your coworkers. Right. Like it wasn't an option. They right. never really asked if you wanted to. It was just part of the unifying, like in, you, were, you were family. And right. uh, they even said when I was, uh, interviewing like this, you are married to Sony. This is your wife. And I'm like, Oh, that's funny. You know, that's, that's a good analogy. I like that. <laughs> but no, they weren't kidding. Like you, you were really married. Um, so yeah, I, when we got married, I, you know, was work still working these same hours. Um, I'll let Kim talk about her job she got, but I just, I worked long hours. I came home late. When I came home, I was trashed and get up and do it again the next day and really the only time we saw each other was the weekend we're living in new jersey we're, we're on the outskirts of new york city so the population of our little town in ridgewood was more people in new mexico where she grew up the whole state like you know there's just it's a contrast of uh culture and it was just such a shock i think to our system um but the work the work was definitely hard and then go ahead yeah, so I think exactly what Rusty said. I mean, for me, growing up in New Mexico and moving to New Jersey was a major culture shock for me. My first job was working in New York City. So I was, uh, I majored in exercise physiology and I got a job uh, working for, as a personal trainer for Morgan Stanley Investment Bankers. So uh, I was working in the Exxon building in uh, Midtown Manhattan around the Rockefeller Center area. So I was commuting into work, you know, from New Jersey. I had to be at work at six in the six o'clock in the morning. So my day started super, super early. His ended super late. And we just and I think our whole lifestyle, I mean, we were just just so ungodly in so many different areas of our life. I mean, yeah, we were partying, you know, Rusty loved smoking pot and we were drinking. Um, and, you know, we just started fighting and arguing a lot. Like I was really unhappy because I just felt all alone. Like I never saw Rusty. I'm in this strange, you know, part of the world and you know even at work um people would call me Kimmy Bob because like I'm just so not New York City like <laughs> I was just kind of this novelty girl like from the southwest and you know I don't know it was just such a different lifestyle and I think we just had no clue what it meant to be married for one and just yeah, working together was just really challenging. And I just wanted to go back home. I mm. like we weren't connecting. And yeah, at that point when John Price called Rusty, we were really considering divorce. Wow. After one year. How did how did things change after you became Christians? So it, it is just ironic looking back and just seeing how God allowed us to get to a point of brokenness. Like we, I really needed to be broken to listen to God. Like I, I'm just not the guy who just reads the Bible because I'm just that smart. Like, you know, I, I, I need to be broken first. And so we definitely were broken. I took it, I took full responsibility of getting our marriage to that point. 
And so I think that really is probably why I responded quicker than Kim. But just the irony of when John called, because John didn't have any idea that our marriage was like this. And on the surface, everybody looked at our life and went, he's the design guy right. that won the contest. Right. She's got a great job with Morgan Stanley. We look like we look like the ultimate couple that everybody wants to be, but behind closed doors, we were a mess. Especially in the 80s and 90s. I mean, Japanese companies were just dominating, buying up so much real estate. I mean, that was just huge. Yeah. And it, it, Rusty, it's so funny you mentioned that about the drinking, because when we moved to Japan in the early 90s, some of my clearest memories are, are guys, my neighbors, staggering home, at, at 10, 11 at night, literally st- staggering down the alleys and streets, trying to get home. Uh, I mean, just that, that was part of your work. I mean, so you're, yeah. you just don't miss that. So anyway, back to it. Yeah. And, and it wasn't uncommon in the meetings the next day for, for your coworkers to be kind of hung over and passed out during the meeting. And at, at first I'm like, Hey, you should probably wake, uh, what's his head up? And he's like, no, he had a hard night. Like, kind of like, it's a trophy. He had a hard night. He took one for the company. (laughs) So yeah, I think when we became disciples, I remember the very first time I I got baptized um, and I came to work same time I always do, but at six o'clock, I shut my computer off, shut my work. And I told my Japanese boss, I said, I'm going to go home. He's like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to start going home at about 6 p.m. And I'm going to have dinner with my wife every night. And he put his finger in my face and said, you can see your wife on the weekends. You will stay here with the rest of us. And I said, you can see your wife on the weekends. I'm going to start seeing my wife every night. And he put his finger back in my face. and He's like, get out of here. We don't want you. Get out of here. You need to, you need to quit. And I said, I'm not going to quit. I love, I love my job. I love designing, but I've changed my life. I'm, I'm a Christian. I just got baptized and I'm going to start trying to live like a Christian and design. So wow. I'm not going to become a worse designer. I'm just not going to come out with you at night and get trashed. I'm going to start. I got I got a lot of work to do with my marriage and I'm going to start working on my marriage. And they really shunned me from that point. Like, all the good projects, I didn't get any of those. I got the, the projects nobody wanted. They'd go out to lunch. They wouldn't ask me to go to lunch anymore. Um, meetings, they'd have meetings and not ask me to come to the meeting. I was just pretty much ostracized. Like, and that, and that was okay. But I just, I knew that, you know, eventually we need to, to do, probably to move on and go to, it was kind of a toxic environment. It was just about my Christianity. It wasn't really about my design work. Um, but it changed everything. It changed. I mean, I, I really did a 180 and um, it was scary. It was really, really scary because I, I really did think I was going to get fired, but, but I didn't. So how much longer did you stay with Sony? Um, I think two more years after that, I stayed for two years and then we went to Knoxville to be part of the, a church planting. So okay. that that was a big contrast as well from the New York once a month, being able to meet in the New York church down at Jacob Javits center with 5,000 people to go to Knoxville, Tennessee with 21 people to plant a church. Wow. We are like, Whoa, what did we, what did we do? And then I got a job with Rubbermaid down there designing products for Rubbermaid. Uh, that's what took us to that. And then, you know, the church planting, they kind of worked out hand in hand. So Okay, so Kim, what? How did you see things change after you both became Christians? Yeah, I think for both of us, we made some pretty drastic changes, you know, in in our lifestyle. And I think the fact that we had so many people um, helping us, giving it, giving us advice, and just walking with us in our marriage was so super helpful. It did take a long time really to kind of heal from like the wounds that we had, um, you know, that we had given each other. And, and actually like, you know, I feel like for both of us, um, a major turning point, like in the healing of our 
marriage was when we went to Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, Bill and Amanda Burke were leading the church at that time. And they came to us and said, hey, we want you to lead a marriage workshop for all the marrieds in the church. And we're like, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? This is like the worst idea ever. Um, and they said, no, I think you can do it. And, you know, so for Russ and I, when we were put in that role of actually like having to lead other people in our marriage, it, it just helped us so much to connect and to grow together um, and to feel like, yeah, we, we're not a great example, but we are here with you and we're, you know, we're learning and growing together. So, um, yeah, I think just, you know, obviously we, we changed a lot of the outward, you know, um, outward sins, you know, we quit drinking um, we quit partying. We, you know, we gave up a lot of things like that, but, um, but yeah, we, I don't know. I mean, God just kind of transformed us. Like Rusty said, from the inside out, we did a 180. <laughs> we even cool. named our firstborn son Brody, um, to kind of symbolize, symbolize like our, um, our, our 180. Yeah, our 180 in life. So that's what they do. They call it so that's what we learned that term is in Arizona. When you flip your car around and go the other direction, it's to do a brody. Do a brody. And you were yeah. like, let's name him Brody. That's what we did. That's why we called him Brody. <laughs> oh my stuff. gosh. Now does your son know that that that's how he got his name? He does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that he is does. hilarious. Oh my gosh. Okay. Woo! All right. So that, okay. First of all, that took a lot of guts. Oh my gosh. In a Japanese culture. I mean, that Japanese culture is so strong for you to buck the system and decide not to do that. That takes a ton of courage. Way to go. That's amazing. Um, I think only a person being in that culture could really understand that, how incredibly pervasive that is. Um, but you did it. That's amazing. Okay. So Give us the fast forward. Where have you guys been since you, you went to Knoxville, Tennessee? That's what, 91, 92, 93? 93 through 96. Okay. Can you just kind of give an overview of where you've gone, where you've worked, what you guys have done up until the present time? Okay. Yeah. So um, it was kind of cool. We, we kind of stumbled on the, the Knoxville, Tennessee thing. I mean, we're clear up in New Jersey. Most of the people planting that church in Knoxville were from Nashville, um, but I had um, an offer from Rubbermaid in Knoxville, but we didn't know if there's a church there. So somebody said at the Jacob Javits service, Steve Johnson was preaching. They said, ask Steve Johnson, like he's, he's in charge of this planting. He'll know if there's a church there. So, you know, back in those days, there was a line of people waiting to tell the preacher how awesome he did. <laughs> So I'm standing in that stupid line for 25 minutes with Kim and we finally get up there and I, you know, we talked to Steve like, Hey, you know, I got a job offer designing down in Knoxville, Tennessee, but is there a church? We don't know if there's a church there. And he's asking us a lot of questions like, how's your marriage? How long have you been disciples? Like, and we're like, okay, yeah, but, but is there a church there? And he's like, there is going to be, but there's, there, we need some people and uh, I want you to be on the team. Of people planting the church and like are you sure like aren't you, isn't there like an interview or something like and he's like you you were just interviewed and i want you to be on the team so like oh my gosh we that was scary but uh we did that we talked to him he uh let us know there was a church so we got down there that was awesome we were there for three years we just had a great time wow what a growing we grew so much i think just the contrast of going from you know, the, the Ridgewood Church in New Jersey, um, Sharon and, and Debbie Wright's church has probably 250 people. So we kind of got to see a midsize and be part of a midsize. But once a month, we went to Jacob Javits and saw 5,000 people together. And then now we were part of this 21 people thing. So we just, I, I just felt like we, we just kind of went through a conversion when we went down there, like not a light a dark to light kind of conversion, but like you become somebody different than you haven't been before. You have to. And we just learned so much. That was a great experience. We were there for three years and then 
um, Rubbermaid actually sold to uh, a competitor. That brought us up. I started designing toys for Little Tykes up in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, we were in Cleveland for 25 years. That's oh. where we've been the last 25 years before we went to Toledo. Um, designed nice. toys for Little Tykes for a while. And then I jumped onto this little housewares company called Enter Design for 25 years. And we raised four kids. That's really where, you know, we, our kids grew up and they think of their hometown is uh, we were in a little town called Chagrin Falls and in, uh, in the Cleveland vicinity. And uh, that's, that's the hometown. So. Okay. So you were in Cleveland from 96 to 2017? To, to, to 2021. Yep. Okay. So 2000 to 2021 that's when you moved yep. when did from, you from 96 uh we moved in 96 to 2021 we were in cleveland 25 years 25 years okay my numbering yep. not good okay okay now i took a motorcycle trip through cleveland i had a lot of bad like people had made comments about cleveland and i stayed at the steiners this last summer in cleveland kind of near the lake erie I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I'm like, whoa, I want to, I want to move here and buy one of these huge brick houses here. They're just amazing. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is living. I, I don't know where you guys were living, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised at, at how beautiful it was. I think we felt the same way. First of all, we feel the same way about the Steiners. Like they're amazing friends, amazing people. They're on the West side of Cleveland, um, which is different than the East side. It's just an older, um, the older part of town, east side is more more the universities, more a little more a little younger, newer part of town. But both, um, you know, just I think we felt the same way when we were in Knoxville, telling people in Tennessee that we were getting transferred up to Cleveland. They were like, "Oh man, what did you do to make God mad?" That's, <laughs> that's very unfortunate. Well, this is funny too because at the time. You know, Rusty was weighing his options about whether he wanted to accept the transfer to Cleveland. And we were just trying to figure out how in the how can we stay in Knoxville? Because we just loved Knoxville. We loved the church. I mean, it was such a great experience for both of, for both of us. And Rusty said, I would rather pump gas in Knoxville, Tennessee than ever move to Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> and you know, it's just funny that. Yeah, God and was like, okay. I think God said, okay, it's your option. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, Chagrin Falls, if you've never been there, is a beautiful, beautiful town. It's iconic. Yeah, we loved it. It was a great place to raise kids. Okay. Chagrin Falls, C-H-A-G-R-I-N. Yep. Okay. Okay, looks nice. Got a nice little downtown area. So you did that. You worked for Little Tykes, and then you worked for another company. Worked for a housewares company called Interdesign. Um, we designed things for for like Bed Bath and Beyond, Crate and Barrel, Container Store. So all those things. Our our goal was all those things that your wife is buying when you're at work. <laughs> so that that was kind of how we looked at it. Um, and a lot of the stuff what we wanted it to be impulsive. Like you didn't actually go to the store to buy that, but when you saw it, you're like, Oh my gosh, I that is the it. coolest thing. That's, that was the goal is that was our customer. And, um, that was our mentality. That was a lot of fun. It, it paid the bills, um, had a great job, great relationship with, it was a privately held company. So it's a pretty small company and, um, just had a great ride, great fishing pond. Um, just, it was a really good experience. And Kim, what, what were you doing doing during this time? Were you working or just raising the kids or? So yeah, my primary role was uh, raising the kids. So I, uh, we had our first two children in New Jersey and then our son was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then when we um, moved to Cleveland, we, I don't know, God really put it on my heart to, um, to adopt uh, a girl from China. And so we ended up uh, adopting our youngest daughter, Summer, um, from, from China in 2004. So 
my job really and my role and my greatest role in life really was um, just being a mother and raising the kids. Um, so I did that for many, many years. And then, you know, when they all started going back to school, I, uh, or when school full time, I, I just did a series of different jobs. I was an executive assistant at Cleveland State University. I also worked at the same company that Rusty did um, in international sales. Um, the last job I had before moving to Toledo, I was working at a nonprofit company in Chagrin Falls. So yeah, I've just done a variety of things throughout the years. Wow. Okay. So how did you end up in Toledo? You, you've got the great situation, great house, nice hometown. And then all of a sudden, what, what is it that prompts you to go, Hey, we want to move to Toledo? Well, um, March, 2020 came to everybody, including mm -hmm. us in Cleveland. And we both actually got let go from our jobs on the same day. Oh my March. gosh. 20th, um, 2020. And what they laid, they laid you off on, on March 20th. That, yeah. That's, that's right at the beginning of COVID. Right at the beginning. Yep. Yep. Both wow. of us, her company, we worked for different companies at the time and her company also let her go the same day I got let go. Um, the fortunate thing was that's the company I'd worked for for 25 years and they gave me a really nice severance package. So it, it, allowed us for, you know, about a year to just step back and go, what do we want to do when we grow up? And it, it enabled us to pause. And I, we really needed that. I, I think I especially needed it. I felt like I was a hamster in a hamster wheel for a long time. And I'm definitely grateful for it. It was a great hamster wheel. Um, but we were ready, I think, for the next chapter, like maybe something more meaningful. And so I applied to, um, you know, other design jobs. I was actually a design director in my last 10 years or so, applied to those. But, you know, you're 57 years old. You're competing against people who are 40. And, you know, they're betting their horse. They're betting on the horse. And are they going to bet on the old horse or the young horse? And, mm -hmm. and I just know that's a reality because I actually interviewed a lot of people as well and kind of, you know, people use the term you're, overqualified and that just means you're too old you know we, we're going to go with the younger horse and um they're not allowed to say you're too you're too old of course but um but i think it was just yeah at some point people started one by one independently of one another i think brody and brooke um our son and his wife i think we we're on vacation they're like have you ever thought about going into ministry you said you wanted to do something meaningful and there are churches that that need leaders and you know, Brian and Kareem Painter, who led, the, who led the Cleveland church, were like, hey, you know, you ever thought about going into ministry? Like, independently of one another. And we're just like, would you guys shut up? Like, why, why do you think anybody would hire somebody who has no experience in paid ministry? Like, that's crazy. But we, you know, kind of kept it in the back of our minds. And then, you know, I think we talked to Bob and Trisha Shanks, um, who were leading the Columbus church, and like, is it, is it crazy? Because they used to lead the Toledo church. They're like, okay, we see that Toledo church needs leaders. What do you guys think? Would we, would, would we be good candidates? Could we do this? And it was just amazing to us that people believed in us. They were like, yes, we do think you would be good at that. Right? But they would never hire somebody that doesn't have experience. They're like, you don't know that until you apply. And so, yeah, we talked about it and we we're like, we're not, qualified for sure but we feel equipped and that there's a difference but we just needed to feel equipped and we do we have a bible we have a lot of support um and so we we just threw our name in the hat and sent them a resume and i think they called us the next day and they were like let's let's do an interview wow okay so what was the situation that the toledo church was in what how many people at that time what was the leadership looking like what was going on there? I think um, for about a year, they did not have leadership, I think. Um, so they were they were kind of leaderless um, for a year. Just a great group of people um, with about 50 members. And 
So they just had a strong, I think a strong group of people that were there that stayed in the church. Um, they were strong and they were, they were hanging in there. So when we, when we got there, they were just so grateful and so loving. And so like, you know, we made it clear in the interview. There are a lot of, I don't know how many people interviewed us. It was a zoom call. Doug and Jennifer Lambert were on there and they supported us for some reason. And just all these people, I mean, they called us back in like a day after the interview and just like, we want to hire you. And we were blown away. Like, why, why would you want to hire us? Like, did we tell you that we don't have any experience? Didn't we say that? Anyway, it, it was just, so we did it. We sold our house in Chagrin Falls. We bought a house in Toledo. Um, we started we started leading remotely for a month and then we moved here. And it, they're just such an amazing little family. And they're so warm, so grateful, so generous. We're super glad to be here. Super glad. Okay, Kim, what was going through your mind? Were you the driver for this decision or was it Rusty or was it both of you? Like, I just can't imagine what you were thinking. Here you guys are in your 50s. You're making a major shift from what is known, what you've been doing for 30 plus years to all of a sudden something you've never done before that is inherently challenging. What, tell me what, what was going on in the, in, inside? Well, gosh, I, I would say like a lot of different emotions and, you know, I feel like from the time that we both got laid off from our jobs or let go from our jobs, you know, like Rusty said, we really had about a year of, um, we went on these amazing, hikes. We lived across the street from a Metro park, a beautiful, beautiful Metro park. So we would walk in the Metro park every day. I mean, we talk, we dream, um, we cry, you know, we, you know, there's so many ups and downs throughout the whole, throughout that whole experience. But I think the thing that, you know, both of us really felt, I don't think it was one person over the other, but we did just feel like, you know, we have more to give. Like we're not, you know, we're not ready to be written off, like, and just head out into the sunset and, um, and just, you know, we did have an opportunity for a new chapter. Like we, the sky was blue. We could kind of really do whatever we wanted to. And I think it really was kind of the spirit nudging us, prompting us, you know, through different people and just putting it on our heart to say, you know what, you, you guys can do this. You would be, you know, God has given you so much. And, and I think just having people believe in us was really the driving force that we felt like, yeah, everybody that we talked to had so much faith and just knowing that, yeah, you might not have ever been full-time in the ministry, but I think God certainly can help you and you have an amazing support system behind you. And I think if it wasn't for that, then yeah, for sure. I think we would both have been like, no, 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 we can't do this. But I think because we knew, you know, being a part of the amazing Ohio Valley region, part of the ACR, I mean, we've had so much support in going into this role like we don't feel like we're doing it alone we feel like god has just set us up for success wow okay so we how are you guys doing financially did you were you at that point ready to retire so you didn't need any money so you're like hey we can just do this or how did you work that out financially so I think we're kind of at probably that questionable point where we probably need a little more before we're able to retire. <clears throat> and this just seemed perfect. Like it, it, it just, it is that job where we wake up, like I want to have a purpose. Like I want to wake up and right. have something meaningful to wake up for mm. purposeful. And this was perfect. And yeah, we're not ready to retire yet. Both, like just mentally and physically, 
like I, I kind of feel like the the widow in Second Kings four with Elisha, like she's got a little. All she said is, "I got a little oil left." And you just watch what God does with a little oil. Like wow. it, it just keeps running. As long as they keep bringing jars, it just keeps running. <laughs> and and it's how God works. Like God takes a little and he does a lot with it. And I think Kim and I felt the same. Like we, we have a little left and like watch God do a lot with it. Like, yeah. and he's done a lot for us. Like we've changed since we've been here. Like we thought we were coming for Toledo. This is really going to help them. It's going to benefit them. But it, it really has benefited us way more than it has Toledo. The same when we adopted our daughter, same way, we kind of felt like we're going to we're going to benefit this little girl. We're going to give her a family. And it was us that benefited more than her. Like our family, our four, our three other kids and us, we are a better family because of that little girl. She benefited us way more than we benefited her. Wow. This feels the same way. Like this has we've been through a conversion. We came over. To just just two hours away, it's not that impressive. It's like a little Cleveland, you know. It's different from like Kelsey and Julian Han. They went to China for crying out loud right. and learned a new language. Right. We didn't have to learn a new language. We just went two hours up to the west. Yeah. Not that big of a deal, but I think what God has done with it is amazing. Okay, so how did you had a sixteen year old at the time, Summer? What did she think, and what did your kids think about this crazy move? Um, well, so I think it was probably the most challenging for summer because she was getting ready to graduate from high school. She's at Ohio state right now, but for her to have to leave her hometown and her friends. Yeah, it was really, it was an emotional time for her. Um, just adjusting to the fact that yeah, we don't have, we're not going to be in her little hometown around her friends. Um, but I think even despite that, she was really excited for us. And it, of course, Brody and Brooke, um, they're in the full-time ministry in Columbus, um, Ohio. They lead the Ohio State campus for the Columbus Church. They were super, super supportive and excited um, about this move. We have another daughter, um, uh, who's married in Columbus. And, you know, they were really hoping that we would move a little bit closer to them to be in Columbus. So I think that was hard, you know, at first for them not to feel a little disappointed that we weren't um, making that transition to Columbus. Um, and then this actually is kind of cool because our uh, youngest son, Mesa, he uh, actually three years ago, went to China for a one-year challenge and ended up staying three years. So he was with Kelsey and Jelaine um, Han in China. And when we told him that we were, you know, taking this position, this role with the Toledo Church, um, he made a decision to come back from China and uh, come and help us with the Toledo Church. Wow. Okay. So you've got four kids. Let's see, Brody, Mesa, uh, Brody, Tatum, Tatum, Mesa, and Summer. Okay, okay, great. Okay, so 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 Brody and his wife, they lead the the campus ministry at Ohio State. Yes. And your daughter Summer is going to school there. That's a nice little, yeah, all in the family yeah. kind of a situation. That's awesome. And then so Mesa joined you guys. I, I'm assuming you named Mesa after your your time in the Southwest. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I really appreciate your uh, naming um, systems. Those are, that's pretty interesting. Now let's, let's talk about your time in Toledo. What, I mean, you're going from a very structured situation to, you know, unstructured, your time is your own going into the paid ministry. What did you find most challenging? What, Tell, tell me about that transition period, the first three months. What was different? What did you notice? What was going on? I can start. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> for sure, like I mentioned earlier, you kind of, I feel like we've gone through a conversion. Um, first, I feel very fortunate that we're leading at this time. Like it, 
we don't know anything else but leading during COVID. Like mm -hmm. we started during COVID, so we didn't lead before that. So we don't know if this is harder or easier. We just know that we have a lot of support. Um, I don't know if we could have led 30 years ago. Like we're, I don't know if we can, you know, crank the ministry and, and, and baptize as frequently as the expectation then. But I think we, we showed up here and we just want to have a healthy spiritual garden. We, we just want to create this healthy spiritual garden. And that, that's kind of been our mentality um, as we come in. So in the church, like I said, couldn't, couldn't be more receptive. I think they needed to kind of heal from some cultural stuff, some experience in the past and whatever. So it's just been a great, it's great for us to kind of, I mean, it was really difficult to, to learn to preach every week and um, definitely appreciate the preach with us, the climb conference. That's, that's one of the big turnarounds for me, like the climb conference that, that you had, and this isn't just to put a plug in for, for you or for this conference, but Jewel Nagel and you guys who have helped the small church leaders to learn. I mean, this is just such an amazing support to teach us how to preach. Mm -hmm. Um, that has made such a big difference. And Ed and Deb Anton, we have centurion meetings and stuff where they, they teach um, and help the, the churches with less than 100 people. Like, here's some, here's some help, here's some guidance, some direction. And that just helps so much. And the, uh, even the Ohio Valley region churches, Doug and Jennifer Lambert, and um, you know, all the churches here in the Ohio Valley region, they're so unified and helping each other. So we don't feel like we're on our own doing this. Like, ah, like we have no idea where we have so many people supporting us. I mean, people like you guys so far away, Tucson's not even close to Cleveland, but right. we, we get help from you guys. Like it's, it's really, really been amazing. That's great. But I think back to your question, you could talk about marriage. Our marriage was one of the things that really was the most difficult Kim, what have you found most challenging? Well, I think by far the thing that has been the most difficult part of doing this new role together is actually being together every day, <laughs> day in and day out. Um, you know, Rusty's career before, he, he did a lot of traveling. So he traveled to China quite a bit. He traveled internationally quite a bit. So he would be gone, you know, at two week stretches, you know, these were not little overnight trips that he was, he was going on. And I think, you know, both of us just working, you know, different careers and on different paths, like it was just nice, like, you know, we were not together during the day and then to come home at night and be able to share about our day and what's going on. Uh, you know, in our lives. But now when we're together all the time, we're just trying to figure out like, you know, how, you know, we're swimming in each other's lanes like all the time. And we're just trying to figure out how to give each other space, but be in sync at the same time, be one in mind and spirit um, and just working on leading together instead of leading apart. Mm -hmm. So by far, I think, you know, the church really has been incredible. I think the disciples here in Toledo are the most generous, warm-hearted, giving people that we've ever met. And they have certainly opened up their arms, you know, or welcomed us with open arms to the church. And, and they're just so willing to let us try new and different things. And, you know, we feel super, super blessed that, you know, we, we just have this great group of people to, to walk, you know, in a relationship with God with. So what, what's been most rewarding for you? What, how have you seen God work since you came there a year ago? Is that right? Yeah. We just celebrated our one year anniversary here. Um, I think really just seeing the people uh, here heal um, just seeing that process, um, seeing people become really happy, just happy to be Christians. Um, we've seen some people restored here. We've seen some baptisms since we've been here. 
um, we're learning, you know, how to how to lead. Like we've never really had this role before. So as we're growing, I think the church is also growing and we're kind of growing together. And it's kind of how Kim and I lead is like, we'll walk with you. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's do this together. And it's been, it's been really amazing. And like Kim said, I think um, it's rewarding to see our marriage go to a, a different level. Like I thought we had a great marriage, but when you're waking up every day, working in the same house as each other every day, stepping on each other's toes every day, marriage is different than it, than it was. That, that takes a different level of um, you know, unity uh, than we've ever had to do. So we kind of had to go through our, our little conversion, so to speak, with that as well. We've, we've really grown a lot of our marriage. We've never prayed as much together as we do now, not even close. We mm-hmm. beg God on our knees together almost you know, weekly because we've never really had to pray at that level before and beg God for stuff um, it's, it's been healthy for us as well as a church. Okay. So I'm interested in knowing what, how, what practically you, you mentioned prayer, what practically have you done to kind of step into this new role? Totally different in terms of your scheduling, your, your working out of your home, of course, as many people are doing with COVID, but the role as a minister, you do have more control over your time, although fewer boundaries on your time. How have you managed, what what have you done to give yourself structure and to handle the anxiety in that change? So, yeah, I've never really had the opportunity to wake up and have like four hour quiet times. Like it's, it's kind of cool. Like I have, Kim has kind of given me this one room. It's my room, the office, and she takes the dining room table and we just kind of go to our own rooms and we... We have quiet times, we um, have discipling times, but kind of have our own time in our own room with, with God and, and learn about stuff together. And then we'll come together if we hear something or study something um, or we're putting something together, um, together, uh, we'll get together afterward. But, but we give each other that time in our own rooms. And um, it's just kind of cool to, to be able to wake up it's, it is a, I'd like coming from the um, world, working for a secular world where you are divided. Two kingdoms are pulling on you all the time. Your, your work, if you want to keep your job and you, you want to, you know, advance and, and all that and manage people, it's, it's kind of a kingdom. It's a tough role. So it is kind of nice to, to be able to step out of that and just go, all I got to do is focus on God. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is wake up, study my Bible, figure out what's going to help people who are still in the secular world, how I can help them to make sure that they're devoted to God mm-hmm. because they have to go to work also and they're going to be pulled by their bosses and, and all that to, to serve that kingdom. How can I help them? That is just such a cool rule to be on the other side of the train tracks going, I know what it's like to be over there. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to help you. It must help people who are listening to you to know that you've spent three three or more decades in in secular positions to you know to listen to that and go, okay, this guy knows he knows where I'm at, he understands my situation. Do people express their appreciation? They do. Yeah, I think I think it gives us a certain street cred to to come from that background and then to preach on that where we, we can empathize what you're going through and, you know, coming into a midweek and having, you know, you arrive a little bit late and people are looking at you like, seriously, you're late. Well, you just made the people mad at work that you left early from work to get to this midweek. <laughs> right. I know what that feels like to disappoint the people at work for leaving early, to disappoint the people at church for being late. Right. And that's your life. Like, that's how, you know, you live every day. And I... I'm just glad you're here at midweek. I know, I know however you arrived here, it wasn't easy. So thank you for being here. Let's see if we can worship God together tonight on a Wednesday. And yeah. Well, there's gotta be difficult times too. I mean, we're coming through a massive pandemic and plus you guys are 
doing something you've never done before, what drives you through difficult times? What What's your why? Well, I guess I can uh, start with that. I think for me, um, I was just thinking about this. There's a scripture in Hebrews 13 that says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And I think just knowing, I think that's the beauty of being just um, more mature in our faith and in our Christianity is that we've seen God work like over and over and over again in our lives. We've seen God do amazing things and and just to know that God is with us every step of the way. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. Even yet yeah, during the challenging times, um, you know, I, I can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I don't have to do this alone. We don't have to do this alone. God is there fighting with us. Um, and just, I think, believing that yeah, God has our best interests in mind. He has the best interests of the disciples here in Toledo. You know, we just want to be God's tool, God's instrument, and just be used by him in whatever way, whatever way that ends up being. I saw a, um, a quote recently in this book I'm reading. Somebody quoted, I think it was something Randy McKean said, but it, the quote said, we have not come this far to only come this far. <laughs> and I and I kind of feel that way. Like life has been awesome. God has laid his boundaries in pleasant places for Kim and Rusty Snell. And it's it's not so much when I when I think about your question of why, it's kind of more like why not? Hmm. Like why wouldn't I do this for God? He has done that for me. He saved our marriage. Hmm. He gave us four amazing kids. He put us in churches that we had best friends supporting us for years and years. Like I'm living the American dream. Like I, there's nobody that I'd rather be than me. Wow. And it's not because I'm awesome. I about, I just about screwed everything up 32 years ago and he reached in and saved us. Why wouldn't I do this for mm. God is, is a better question. Not why would I, but why wouldn't I? Like it'd be crazy not to. Mm. And I think each of us, we have, we have to ask ourselves, what is our next chapter in trusting God? I don't care who we are, how long we've been disciples. What is your next chapter? And not everybody has to plant a church or lead a church or do any something that radical. But but how do you trust God today? What's, what's your next chapter in trusting God? I think we all have to ask ourselves that. Because in the end, like no matter how hard or easy it is, the happiest I am is when I'm participating with Jesus right. in his victories and his suffering. It all goes together. That's my happiest. It's not just when things are going really well. It's when things are tough. It's when I'm, there's a little bit of suffering and pain. That's when life is the most meaningful. So, yeah, I want to participate with him. I want him to say, I know you. Wow, that is awesome. I, I really want to talk to you guys because I feel like there are so many people who are gifted and talented like you, who have so much to give and so much life left to give um, that it, it, it could literally change the trajectory of our kingdom if we had, had more people doing what you're doing. I mean, there are so many places to plant, so many places to lead that are in need of leadership. What advice would you give to those who might be on the fence, thinking, man, maybe I could do something. Gosh, you know, we, maybe we could do something. Any any help that you might offer that person? Well, for me, I think that, you know, you don't actually have to lead a church or be full-time in the ministry to make an impact. There are so many ways that you can give and use your talents for God, but really i think throughout our whole life just the decisions that we've made like to to go to knoxville tennessee to plant a church to adopt our daughter to come here to toledo a lot of it was really just the spirit 
God's Holy Spirit giving us nudges and prompts and, and for us really just listening, listening to God and, and looking for, looking for the needs around you. And I think, you know, we just have to use our oil. We have to use what we have and we have to give all that we have to God with all of our heart. Mm. I, I remember this quote, um, I don't even know who the woman was. It was clear back in like 98 or 99. And it happened to be in Toledo. We were living in Cleveland. And this woman, I think she called herself like the red tornado or something like that. <laughs> she had red hair and she said, you know, my nickname is, I think she said red tornado. And it was about adopting and definitely it, it hit a nerve with us. But the thing that she said, and I still can't forget it. She said, if not you, then who? And it really just made me, I mean, at that point, we we're sitting in the auditorium and listening about adopting. And I think it was one of the, the things that stuck then, but it's also when, when the Toledo church had an opening and said, you know, we need leaders. I asked myself, if not me, then who, who's better suited, who's better equipped mm. than you to, to lead that? I don't know. I'm sure there are a lot of people. But it made me just go, why not me? Like, wow. why not? And so I, I do think it's never, in a sense, it's never been easier to lead a church. I just believe that. Because of podcasts like this, like you've inspired me with make this life count. As, as simple as that little slogan is, it made me go, It made it, that was one of the things that made me go, is this going to make my life count more to do something like this? Heck yes. Like, wow, this is going to, this is going to be a big deal for me and right. for this church, but I want to make this life count. I want to be like that stinking t-shirt that you love wearing and it got old and thin and your wife makes you stop wearing it. Cause you can see through it. You can see your nipples through it. And so you have to stop wearing it, but you still don't want to throw it away. So you wash the car with it. And then it's just hanging there and there's hardly anything left. I want to be that t-shirt when it's time for me to die. I want God to say, I use this t-shirt as far as it can be used. That's what I want to be. That is so awesome. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here today, but is there anything I've missed? Is there anything else that maybe most people wouldn't know about you that we didn't cover? Grandparents. Yes, I know we don't look like we could be grandparents, but we are the proud grandparents of five grandchildren. Oh my so gosh. all in the under the age of four. Wow. <laughs> no, I, I don't think um, I don't think you've missed anything. We uh, we are bicyclers. We love road biking. Um, we do it together. We're out doing miles and miles on the streets. We even went to California road from uh, LA to San Diego a couple years ago, but by and large, I think you've, you've covered it. Um, there's more information there than anybody would want to know. I'm wow. sure. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been s such a pleasure to talk to you guys and I'm inspired by your life and your decision to, to live for God. So thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. We're inspired by this podcast. Keep doing what you're doing, Rob. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.